Hello, this is Pastor John and just Pastor John today on the Every Moment His podcast. Uh, today I'm flying solo and we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, a couple of articles that I wrote on uh, the topic of being in college. Uh, I've often told people that if I could be paid to go to college the rest of my life, I would gladly do it. I loved my college years. I loved those years of, of learning and growing. Um, and study is something that I just really love a lot in my life. Uh, but I had to grow up and get a real job. But, um, but uh, definitely as a church, we have a real love for college students at Holy Cross. And we, uh, we want this church to be a place where college students feel welcome, uh, where they are loved, where they continue to grow in Christ uh, together with us uh, as a church. And so I want to read uh, two articles that I've written about college. One is uh, words of encouragement for a Christian college student. And so uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're a discouraged college student. I certainly had those times uh, when I was in college. And I would think that would be all the more right now in COVID. Or maybe you're the friend or the family member of a college student who's maybe discouraged. Um, this would be a good thing to send them, especially if they're in their freshman year, far away from home, maybe changing their major for the fifth time, or maybe uh, entering into that senior year just wondering, what in the world am I going to do with my life? And then the second uh, article I'm going to read is one titled, The Perks of Being an Atheist in College. Uh, to some degree, atheism is uh, popular on college campuses. And so I want to address this, uh, this topic of atheism in college and uh, what the motivations might be uh, behind atheism and just to give some, some gentle pushback uh, intellectually on that topic. So number one, words of encouragement for Christian college students. College can be the best of times and it can also be the worst of times and it's often a lot of in-between. Transitioning into full adulthood is exciting, but it's also fraught with all kinds of anxieties. As a Christian college student, how do you navigate these years with joy? Well, number one, remember that you are loved. The love of God for you is full and complete. Whether you're far from home or you're commuting every morning or living in the dorms, Christ goes with you. When you get stellar grades and also when you're only passing because your professor grades on a curve, you are loved. If you're growing in your faith day by day, or if you're all tangled up in doubts and even dead-end decisions, Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever for you. Number two, love and be loved in a local church. I can't imagine a Sunday without church. You're probably thinking he's a pastor. Of course he's going to say that. But seriously, and here's why. Lots of things change in our lives. We have ups, we have downs. We live in the blur of moments where we're just trying to do our best to keep our head above water and do the next thing on our to-do list. But when I worship, my life is marked by a pattern of stability. Everything else could be uncertain, but Christ is solid. The word, the body, the blood, the fellowship. I'm refocused on the reality of who I really am, loved in Christ. I really can't think of a time in life when you need worship more than as a college student. So I encourage you to find a church that loves Jesus and teaches the word of God faithfully. By going Sunday after Sunday, your soul will find rest from the demands of your classwork. 
because worship is the one place where you don't have to be successful. You don't have to perform. You simply come to receive love and give love, like breathing in and out. Ideally, you'll also find connections with people outside of your college community. Moms and dads with noisy toddlers climbing the pews and elderly folks with wisdom beyond the latest academic trends. You'll be all the richer because of them, and they will also because of you. Number three, question everything. One of the discouraging things about the current college scene is how intellectually insulated many campuses have become. Academic institutions have a bad habit of getting infected with the latest trends in thinking, so much so that everything gets interpreted through a narrow lens of the latest intellectual fad. For example, if you were a college student in past centuries, Kant or Hegel or Freud would have been all the rage, and you wouldn't really be anybody unless you jumped on the philosophical bandwagon. What's interesting, though, is that these ideas had their day, by and large, and now they don't carry as much weight. Could it be that the ideas taught so confidently by your professor will be old news in a few decades, perhaps even significantly adjusted or debunked? So with that said, strive to question the assumptions behind what everyone assumes to be true on your campus. Always ask the uncomfortable why and what for questions that no one really wants to wrestle with. Does this mean that you should question your Christian faith? Well, I like to check under the hood of my car before I take it on a long trip. I've done the same with my Christian faith, and the more I look into it, the more I see how well the engine runs. We shouldn't fear examining truth, because if something is true, it will speak for itself, and it will withstand scrutiny. The Christian worldview provides beautiful, intellectually satisfying answers to the questions that you're facing in college. Your Christian faith is part of a deep and profound intellectual tradition that draws all of the disciplines you study into a coherent, meaningful whole. Can you say the same if you look under the hood of, say, atheism or secularism and other worldview options out there? Number four, don't despair if your dream tanks. There's a good chance that what you have set your heart on in your freshman year will not be a reality after graduation. You could change majors. You may run out of money and need to take a few semesters off. You may get to the end of your senior year and realize that you have no desire to teach elementary school. You could get a degree in a field that has little job openings or simply that just doesn't pay the bills. Don't despair. Life is always more messy than we plan it to be. Regardless of whether you achieve your dream career or pursue a series of dead ends, what matters as a Christian is not so much what you do, but how you do it. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says this in Colossians 3.17. Your worth is not rooted in your school or career success. Your worth is firmly grounded in Jesus. So don't worry if it doesn't all work out. True success is when we serve others in whatever place God has placed us, whether it be a high one or a low one. Number five, what you do matters. God's world is held together by lots and lots of small actions in the right direction. If no one milked the cows, 
harvested the wheat, clocked in at the factory, or drove the truck to the grocery store, I would not have enjoyed my bowl of cereal this morning. What we do matters. As Christians, what you will do in the future really does matter. The classes you're taking that seem so pointless and hard to pass are all ways of glorifying God and serving your neighbor. Work hard as a college student knowing that God is using it. Luther once said that we are all masks of God. He serves the world through us as his instruments. As a student and someday employee or employer, God is and will be at work in you, serving the world. That's a high calling. Whether you're making an Americano at Starbucks, thank you by the way, or studying marine biology and beliefs, it's all for God's glory and the good of your neighbor. And finally, number six, seriously, you are loved. I'm going to say it one more time because we easily forget it. You are loved. God has shown his love for you in Christ once and for all. It's final and it's finished, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. No mistake you make can erase his compassion for you. No dark period of doubt can lessen his affection for you. So whether you succeed or fail, find your way clearly or you flounder, know that God's love for you in Christ will not change. On the perks of being an atheist in college, I really loved my college years, and looking back, I can see how formative these years were for me intellectually. The liberal arts education that I received helped me to take the particulars of various disciplines and and unify them into a comprehensive view of reality. Thank you, by the way, Concordia Seward, for that. As a Christian, I began to see with delight how theology, science, literature, art, philosophy, and history all work together into an enthralling God-centered worldview. However, given that many universities are either openly or functionally hostile to Christian habits of heart and mind, college is often a time of testing for young people. Some young people grow stronger in their understanding and commitment to the Christian faith during these years. Some grow complacent and lukewarm, but others go on to fully embrace ideologies and lifestyles irreconcilable with Christ and his church. Most extreme of these ideologies is atheism, the belief there is no God. Atheists often abound on college campuses. In fact, I would not be surprised if books like God is Not Great or The God Delusion or Faith versus Fact, etc. have their highest following among college students. Now, honestly, as a pastor, I'd rather dialogue with an outspoken atheist in college than a nominal, lukewarm Christian, because you can reason with a firm belief, or in this case, a lack of belief, but you can't really reason with complacency. In other words, if atheism is a barking bulldog, lukewarm Christianity is like a napping shih tzu. However, I often wonder what really lies behind confident college atheism. Now, part of it may be the tendency towards extremes at this age. I've been there and done that. Encountering new ideas in your early 20s can be really intoxicating. Yet, very often I see atheism masked behind intellectual ideas. In other words, a a college freshman reads Friedrich Nietzsche in her Intro to Philosophy class, or Jean-Paul Sartre in a literature class, or maybe even a, a biology professor who pontificates about atheism during lectures, which means he's teaching philosophy instead of biology. 
Furthermore, those who claim atheism may assert that they're looking at the world objectively, scientifically, and in the absence of clear evidence, they have abandoned all faith. But is it really that simple? Are reason and empirical evidence the only factor informing the decision? The so-called new atheists, this would be Dawkins, Dennett, Harris, Hitchens, and company, that are so popular on college campuses often come off as confident in their presentation of atheism. They argue their case as if atheism is obvious, factual, and centered in reality. I appreciate the more humble, honest atheism of people like Professor Thomas Nagel of New York University. In a revealing quote from his book, The Last Word, he writes this. He says, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Nagel cuts through the cool confidence of many popular atheists and frankly admits that much more is at stake when it comes to belief or unbelief. No one approaches the question of God from a simply intellectual perspective. Why? Because the reality of God reverberates with deep implications about who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. If God exists, that means that he has a claim upon my entire existence. As St. Paul writes, in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28, and from him and through him and to him are all things, Romans 11.35. The reality of Jesus Christ has either the smell of death or the smell of life. Embracing atheism in college may have intellectual roots, as does Christianity, but very often so much more is at stake as with Christianity. If I can rid myself of all moral obligations and spiritual duties, I am free to reinvent myself according to my own preferences. College is often defined by the tumult of self-definition and redefinition. If my discovery of self leads me into paths deemed as dead ends and treason by the divine, then what better way to follow those paths unhindered than by abandoning belief altogether. In short, it may be that college atheism has more to do with the heart and its affections rather than the mind and its intellectual hang-ups. Thomas Nagel expands on this idea. Within the same paragraph, he admits, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. Once again, Nagel observed with clarity that one's commitment to either atheism or some form of theism is more a heart matter than a head matter. It's not as if atheists simply abandon belief on the basis of information inaccessible or ignored by believers. Quite the contrary. In fact, he notes that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people he knows are religious believers. The late Stephen Jay Gould echoes the same thoughts with reference to science. Gould, like Nagel, was an atheist. However, recognizing that many atheists are believers, he admitted this, Either half of my colleagues are enormously stupid, or else the science of Darwinism is fully compatible with conventional religious belief and equally compatible with atheism. Like Nagel, Gould recognized that although many of his colleagues 
had access to the same information, they came to far different conclusions about what lies behind that information. Consider, for example, two successful and distinguished scientists, the renowned biologist Richard Dawkins and the director of the National Institutes of Health and former head of the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins. Dawkins is an avowed atheist, and very outspoken, by the way. Collins is a committed Christian and very open about his faith. Both have written books defending their belief or lack of belief on the basis of science. I think we can admit that neither of these men are intellectually sluggish, or that either are missing some key piece of empirical evidence that would sway them either way. Rather, both Dawkins and Collins have access to the same information. They have comparably successful careers, and yet they come to radically different conclusions on the question of God. Why is this? Once again, I would argue that their responses reflect attitudes of the heart rather than just the mind. Some atheists may be quick to quip that Collins is holding on to some hope of a transcendent meaning in the universe, morality, human dignity, etc., like a child who refuses to let go of the tattered remains of a childhood blanket, perhaps Collins, scientific as he is, remains fixed on the security provided by God. Perhaps the atheist Jean-Paul Sartre once committed that, admitted rather that atheism is a long, hard, cruel business. There are great comforts given by belief in God, but the logic cuts both ways. For some, there's temporary benefit in embracing atheism and much to give up if God is an unavoidable reality. It may be that Dawkins is not as objective about the matter as he would have us believe. Everyone approaches the raw material of scientific data, life experiences, and even religious belief or unbelief with a certain set of questions and assumptions that will shape its interpretation. Theologian Robert Kolb explains, We think within a conceptual framework. This conceptual framework, or set of presuppositions, guides the way in which we understand and apply specific topics. and shapes the way we establish what questions about life are important, what answers about reality we need to have. In other words, the way we respond to science or any other body of knowledge reveals more about our allegiances than about reality. If one is pursuing God, chances are he or she will navigate the college years unscathed by secularism. Understanding all true and helpful human knowledge is a gift from God. However, if one is pursuing freedom from God, Everything from Darwin to Dawkins will provide a convenient exit. If you've come under the sway of atheism during your college years, or perhaps you feel tempted towards coming out as secular, I'd encourage you to ask yourself some critical questions, questions you owe yourself as a thinking person. First, does atheism work? In other words, does it make sense of my deepest longings and desires? Does it account for my sense of morality and human dignity? Do I find myself holding to values and morals that have no basis in a meaningless universe? Next, why am I outraged by injustice and human suffering? Is there a reason I'm offended by these things? Should I expect to be outraged at what nature apparently deemed normal, namely the red tooth and claw of existence? 
Furthermore, have I thoroughly examined the other side or just in passing? In other words, when I reject Christianity, am I just rejecting what may be a shallow caricature of Christianity rather than the real thing? Have I carefully read the New Testament Gospels so that I am well informed in my rejection of Christ? Have I read books that are critical of atheism, such as Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, or Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, or The Reason for God by Tim Keller, or Can Man Live Without God by Ravi Zacharias, just to cite a few? Or is my rejection of God based on a biased syllabus reading list, or rooted in memes and slogans from the internet? And finally, more to the point, what vested interest do I have in atheism? Does belief in nothing allow me to do anything? Are there certain choices I'm making right now that make belief in God inconvenient, perhaps even threatening? Atheism, properly understood, certainly is a long, hard, cruel business for those who would pursue it beyond graduation. What worked in the safety of a college campus may not work well in the daily pressures and pleasures of life. But very often our supposed exit from God leads us not away from him, but to him. Like the prodigal son in the parable, God remains ready and willing to take us back after we've spent our best years denying his existence. Even when we loudly protest against his existence, he has, at great cost to himself, insisted on valuing our existence, your existence. 